I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm partly Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review and the Week in Review episode of the Movie Lovers. This is the start of a three episode cycle that we are doing now for the podcast. Uh, we made some changes recently. Kind of parsed out the episode into three weekly episodes now. Hopefully that makes them easier for you to digest. But it's all really to an effort to try to make it so we can keep doing the podcast as we have had some professional demands outside the podcast in our life, making time difficult. So the weekend review is where we talk about what movies or TV shows we've been watching since the last weekend review segment. It's our opportunity to be able to just uh, touch on a bunch of different things that we don't get to in the other uh, segments and other episodes of the podcast. So with that, Shanna, let's start with your week in review. What have you got to share with us this time? I have got Motherland of Salem, season two and season three. Mm. I have spoken about season one before and that was a really great introduction to this world it's an alternate world where witches of salem actually became very powerful and the usa got split into different sections i think it's basically three sections and women who are witches go to serve their country against a great war and uh, we get to see what it's like when women are the soldiers, uh, female-dominated soldiers, and men are left at home to raise the kids, uh, that's a little bit of like a slapdash, simple explanation uh, description. There's more to it than that. But in season two, it builds more upon, well, what problems are witches going to face? And what are the politics? What are the dynamics of the leadership scale? And season two really kind of tackles those problems, but also puts it together in a really satisfying and exciting way by also incorporating, well, how would they celebrate Samhain and I think Beltane? And that was really fun. And then season three builds further upon that where they're kind of breaking away from it's kind of like Harry Potter when they eventually have to get away from Hogwarts to achieve their end goal. And that's what happens in season three here. They have to get away from the War College to go and pursue a more peaceful resolution. And I find it all very, very interesting. And season three was satisfying. I think season one is probably my favorite because it's the first one. And I probably like season two a little better than season three, okay. but just by a, a margin. So apparently, Motherland Fort Salem, season three is the final season of the show. Mm. Do you feel like this series ended well? Did you like, you, you, you thought the third season was the lesser of the three? Does that but mean that? But only by a small bit. It, did feel, it didn't feel rushed. Okay. So it didn't feel like they had all of a sudden been canceled. Uh-huh. Uh, it felt like they were pretty 
focused in their storytelling. I think in season two, one of the characters was in a car accident, and so filming was a little rough. She had to go away you for mean a the couple actress, episodes. Yeah, not the character. The actress, and yeah, I I think it was a pretty satisfying end. It was a lovely end, so it's not something that's gonna leave you worrying about a lot of things. Okay. So how would you rate the whole series, Motherland, Fort Salem? Oh, I'd probably give it a solid seven and a half. Um, a solid seven? Well, if I talk about all, <laughs> all three seasons, then I'm like, okay. I think it's great. I think it's mature. I think it doesn't hold back. I, It's speaking to a lot of issues that women go through, and it's doing it through the lens of witch, where witches are mostly respected in the community. And I, I love that lens mm. as opposed to something like Hocus Pocus where like the witches are bad and all witches are bad, you know? Yes. And we'll get back to that in a second. Where can you find Motherland Fort Salem? It's free form, but it's on Hulu. Okay. What else do you have in your weekend review? Well, then I watched Hocus Pocus 2 on on the Friday it released with all the friends, and that was a really lovely experience getting together to watch it. And it was just a fun movie. It's a fun popcorn flick. There's, is it a masterpiece? No. <laughs> and that's what I told that... my stepson, because he wanted to go watch it with us, be with the, the, uh-huh. fam- the, the family friends and stuff. And I said to him, I really liked it. Is it a masterpiece? No. <laughs> like, uh-huh. are there some flaws? Absolutely. Okay. But I liked how how they went about creating this one. How they went about creating this one? Yeah, the story structure. We actually go back in time again. Oh, and okay. We see a different part. Um, we see why they were essentially forced to become witches. So Hmm. I like that. Is it like empathy driven? Not really. It's just matter of fact, Hmm. you know, Hmm. it's not trying to, it's not a maleficent piece. Hmm. It's not trying to make maleficent, like us really, really empathize with maleficent. Uh So yeah, it was interesting. And you know, there's new characters and that was nice. And, couple of fun things happen and Mm. it's a town that's all about the sisters so it's a fun one do you have any questions yeah so this film it 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 exists because there's because of the age of nostalgia where people our ages um, have become adults and they're nostalgic for everything and and studios have been really uh, trying to exploit that as much as possible. There's been a lot of questions over the past few years about uh, rumors regarding the the sequel. So the anticipation was mm-hmm. high for this from fans of the original movie. Did this movie meet the expectations that you, as a fan of the original Hocus Pocus movie, might have? You know, I never needed a second one, uh-huh. and I never felt that way. Yeah, that's usually the case. And I, after watching the film, the, the sequel, I get that. It must have been in development hell for a little bit because mm. you could only tell the story like this now, mm. I feel. Mm. Was it uh, as good as the original? Do you, do you feel it was a necessary sequel, or how do you feel about it? 
I feel like this these are two completely different films. Oh. I feel like one film is about how very evil these witches are because they're killing children so that uh-huh. they can continue to live. Right. And and look beautiful. Right. In this one, it's different. They have a different mission. They're not just trying to suck the life out of children. Uh-huh. They have to change it because like it's not going to play well. You oh, know, okay. I think now. And, you know, in the first one, we have a brother and sister dynamic and they've just moved and it's right. it's hard. It's a hard phase of life for the teenager and the eight-year-old or 10-year-old that loves her big brother. Uh-huh. And over here, we have essentially three friends that are going through a change as well, trying to figure out the dynamic of, well, the third friend has a boyfriend and isn't connecting with us and just spending time with us. She wants to incorporate every everyone together. And it's difficult to do that because it's not really, those friends aren't the other two friends' cup of tea. So it's interesting. And the main character, it's her 16th birthday. So it's, I feel like we're missing a couple pieces that would have strengthened the film a little bit more. And what this film did do is it made me want to go watch The Croft and Croft Legacy specifically. And show Logan. Why is that? Well, I want to watch The Croft Legacy, but I feel like our son hasn't seen The Craft. So I'm like, okay, well, this is a good opportunity to show him The Craft and The Mm. Craft Legacy as something fun to compare it to. Because I feel like the craft legacy really hits the the coven and importance of having your coven. Mm. Whereas Hocus Pocus 2, I think, kind of dabbles. And I can't remember. Yes, Practical Magic always says, it's not good to dabble in magic. <laughs> Figure out which one and go with it. So is it my favorite witch film? No. How would you rate it out of 10? I'd probably give it a 6. Okay. All right. So that is Hocus Pocus 2. Did you have anything else you wanted to report? Oh, yeah. Craig of the Creek, a Cartoon Network show, which I'm not usually a fan of Cartoon Network. I've liked Steven Universe. I I like Gumball because of its its design and layout. And most of the stories are pretty fun. But Craig of the Creek we got introduced to at Comic-Con with their Comic-Con-like episode. Right, yeah. And that was really clever. So I thought I would really like to do that. And Craig of the Creek is about a... A black boy who is very fond of outdoor play, but comes at it from like this mathematical and logical perspective. And he has his two friends. Uh, One friend is an only kid. And the other friend, I don't know his situation yet. But it's a nice trio of friends. And we get to see a little bit of Craig's home life. Uh, what his family dynamic is there. He's one of three kids, and then he has, you know, these two friends, and we get to see what that's like. And whenever the kid, all the kids go to the creek, it's not just these three kids. It's a whole community that goes to the creek, and it's broken up into different sections, which is very interesting. Hmm. And so there's lots of different dynamics happening. Well, at one point, there's two teenage girls that come into their specific area at night and kind of pretend to be witches or do witchy type things and these younger craig and his friends are freaked out because they think that the these witches these teenage girls are going to put a curse on them and it it keeps going the world building is 
beautiful. You have to go to a specific place if you want to play card games against each other within the creek. You have to go to a specific place uh, if you want to trade goods. Mm. But all the goods are not food <laughs> food and safety regulated because a kid is running it. Mm. And it, there's a lot of jokes in between. And a lot of fun family moments, too, when the family is involved. Mm. And Craig of the Creek is on Cartoon Network, but it's also available to stream on Hulu. All right. Excellent. So to review, Shanna watched Motherland, Fort Salem, finished that whole series of three seasons. Hocus Pocus 2 on Disney Plus and also on Craig uh, on also on Hulu in addition to Motherland, <laughs> Craig of the Creek. Not on Craigslist. Right. With Hulu. <laughs> so my week in review. I think just that I want to spend a few comments. So about three weeks or something before the recording of this podcast, definitely after we last had our weekend review segment, our son and I went to see Jaws in theaters. It was re-released to celebrate, gosh, what would have that been? Uh, something like it's four, no, 40, 50. 45th anniversary? I think it was 1975 that it came out, so I'm not sure how the math works out. But at any rate, it was released in theaters. First time really to get the full theater experience. We watched it once in a art house, kind of second-run theater before, and that was kind of uh, a broken-up experience. This was much more ideal but it was also in IMAX, which was interesting. So we got up there in the screen, and it was a really great way to experience the film because, of course, our vision is completely filled by the screen. And also the sound design, you get a much fuller effect of the sound design for that film in the theater. So unfortunately, I think it's left theaters at this point. It was at Regal in particular, it might have uh, expired at this point, but that is definitely, if you ever get an, an opportunity to see Jaws in the big screen, that's definitely the way to see it. It was a great experience. I'm really glad that I got an opportunity to do that. Well, and what's great is you got to see it at a little a little theater a few years ago. Yes, I referenced that, yes. What, what was great about that? Well, they were still in renovations, and so the sound absorption wasn't 100% great. So no. it was. Yeah, it wasn't great. Yeah. So it was more. It was a little more jarring than usual, and that was our son's first time watching it, mm. was in that situation. And as soon as the shock bit into the person and all the blood came out, I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't have brought him. Well, and that was several years ago, too. He was, he was a lot younger. Now he's uh, 16 and stuff. So it's a little bit of a different story, but he definitely appreciated the experience that we recently had as well. Also, just kind of throw out there, I'm going to be doing a feature article on the A Nightmare Before Elm Street series of films. So that should be available on the blog before Halloween. And so I'm kind of running through those movies. I've I've rewatched the first and the third saw the second one for the first time and you know making my notes and drafting my reviews of those and it's it's interesting the third one definitely should have been the first sequel so far i I will i will say that much at the Mm -hmm. very least 
but I'm having a great time. I'm, I've been looking forward to watching through this series. I think it's also a really nice theme that you've got going just before Halloween. Well, yeah, this is the first time I've actually like done something that's particular to Halloween. Most people like on Instagram, they'll do like Halloween movie challenges. Well, they'll <laughs> be assigned specific movies every day of the month. I don't really have the time or capability to, to participate in that sort of thing. And mm. that's not really what my Instagram was designed for. You know, social media is supposed to lead traffic to your blog or your main website, uh, not be your main <laughs> source. So uh, I don't do that, but I'm going to do this. And, and that's exciting. And hopefully you'll be able to see the results of that before Halloween. Mm-hmm. So that is my week in review. Now we have a handful of things to talk about for our week in review. Shanna, the first thing that we should get out of the way is that we have stumbled upon slash been catching up with the sketch comedy show Key and Peel of Keegan Michael Key and Jordan Peel. This, of course, is what Jordan Peel did before he decided to quit acting and just direct films and be as a result before get out came out and and so we have gone through the first couple seasons more or less of the sketch comedy show key and peel what do you think of that show i am really enjoying it there are times where i'm like oh no and there are times where I'm we, like, we, absolutely not. And a lot of times I'm having a lot of fun and I'm like, yes, absolutely. So it just depends. There's what do the first two mean when you say, oh, no, or absolutely not? Well, oh, no, and absolutely not refer to when they're playing two characters that are like, oh, my God, that dog is so cute. Uh-huh. And then it ends with like a feel, like a graveyard for dogs uh-huh. and it, it just it doesn't end well and i'm like so my dog sensitivity like that's the only thing so far that's really like been like i can't do that oh and you know then they had an exorcism scene and i was like okay i'm just gonna go over here now so oh no means, <laughs> means nope that's too much you. yeah yeah it means nope exactly yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> what's absolutely not the dog thing yeah. oh well okay they so the, kind of fall in the same. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm tired. I am so tired. That's why when we said our introductions, I was like, partly Shanna. So. Any other thoughts you have on the sketch comedy show? I like their format mm-hmm. because they start with a skit and then they cut to this audience that they're sharing this episode with. Yeah. And so they're doing little bits in between the skits. And I really like that. Mm-hmm. And there's different audience reactions sometimes. And they get to read the room. And that's quite enjoyable. Yeah, it's very very unique in that regard. Because these are pre-filmed uh, segments that are aired through the episode. And there's TV monitors on the stage and stuff. And it's a very... It feels like a very intimate atmosphere because it doesn't feel very big and in terms of the audience size and everything. And so then they interact with the audience or, or have a little banter between themselves in between. But more importantly, what makes the, ske- the, the, the show stand out for me is how racially driven the comedy is. You know, you're really getting the, the black perspective in the sketch comedy as opposed to what you might get from Saturday Night Live or from Mad TV or from Inside mm. Amy Schumer, you know, these very different things. And 
And as I understand it, this kind of actually ran parallel to Inside Amy Schumer, another show I didn't really catch up with because I didn't have cable at the time. So that might be worth watching too and checking out. But sometimes, just like any other sketch comedy show, the the, the sketch might fall flat and just not be nearly as good uh, as the others. I, I you know it, yeah. But when it is good, it's it's hilarious. I really enjoy when they're doing the "I'm going to be Obama and you're going to be my anger translator." Yes, yes. And Isn't I it like think Luther the angry Luther. Term? Yeah. Yes. And I, I just love. There's something really soothing about the Obama voice. Not only are we hearing that again and the choice of words, but then we're hearing, well, what if Obama didn't have a filter? Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, this is what would happen. What that would look like. And I just, I really enjoy when Luther is so angry, he's beyond words, he like has to get off the frame, uh, go out of frame and then come back or he has to jump on something or slam something down. (laughs) And I just, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy that. I thoroughly enjoy the series myself. It is Key and Peel, and that's available on Hulu. Next, so we watched yeah, three 2022 movies. Uh, we're going to pepper this segment out with. The first one we'll talk about is The Woman King. Almost a feature review for us, but timing didn't quite work out between episodes. This is the film by Gina Prince-Bythewood. Her latest film after, what was the one that you always have to remind me? The one that she did with um, Charlize Theron that was a Netflix exclusive release about the Immortals. The long something. I'll find it. Yeah. You you carry on. Mostly before that. The Old Guard. The Old Guard. Thank you. Yes. That was her first action film. She did dramas before that, like Love and Basketball, Beyond the Lights. A really solid director. I think she might have done Aquila and the Bee, but I'm not positive about that one. But really solid uh, uh, director. And now she's like, Old Guard was like basically kind of a test or whatever for The Woman King, which is about an actual tribe in West Africa. We we think like around the Ivory Coast era area, but I'm not, not positive about that, who had an army of women warriors and viola davis plays the general of that army and who played the king love i believe it was john boyega john boyega plays the king yes and of course they come under threat by white colonialists yes (laughs) the white people yeah. So Shanna, what what did you think of of this film that also starred uh, Tusu Mbedu and Lashana Lynch? Hey, you didn't say that too bad. Thank you. That wasn't too bad. Uh, I just absolutely loved this film. There was so much that felt familiar about it. The land looked very familiar, and then I found out later that there's some marketing happening in South Africa with the release of this film because some of it was shot in South Africa. So they're having the woman king being promoted on the different morning shows that Mm. happen there right Mm. now. Mm -hmm. And it was just an amazing thing to watch. I know that a lot of 
a lot of black South African friends that I have, women in particular, were very excited the moment this film got the green light. And I had to do my research because I didn't know about this. And what's great about this film is not only is it bringing to light this wonderful army of warrior women, but it's also showing how there were black people who were selling people from their tribe to the white people. Mm. And how, you know, it, it, was in a, it was a particularly difficult situation because that's all they wanted to trade for a very long time. And so it was, it's something that doesn't get talked about a lot in South Africa. Uh, you know, coming out of apartheid, we learn a lot about, okay, what were the laws of apartheid? Well, why is it bad? Blah, blah, blah. But no one ever talks, no one ever really goes further back. Uh, they talk about white people coming from France and England and all those things, but nobody ever mentions this part of history. And so I'm really glad that it came out there. And I know I'm going on, but it's important that that gets acknowledged. And yes, I thought the performances were great. The training, the way that everyone moved was beautiful and seamless. The 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 way that the dialogue flowed felt very familiar and I just absolutely loved the humor that certain characters had and I I thought it was a great film featuring powerful black woman it was awesome so this movie is co-scripted by Dana Stevens who not only previously had created a couple failed shows short-lived shows called what about Brian and reckless but she's better known as a screenwriter of some more emotionally you know, schmaltzy movies like uh, the remake of Wings of Desire, City of Angels, uh, For the Love of the Game, Life or Something Like It, and Safe Haven. And it's also scripted by Maria Bello. Actually, not scripted, but the story was co-created by the actress Maria Bello. And I just find that incredibly impressive. I mean, Dana Stevens' writing career is not incredibly impressive. And and so to see this come from her and see that uh, you know Maria Bello helped shape the story is just like what? It's just crazy. And then uh, I, I think it was very smart of them to get Gina Prince-Bythewood to uh, direct the film. She does an exceptional job. She gets some really great performances out of Viola Davis and Lashana Lynch. And even the lead, uh, Tusu Mbedu, as well, is uh, really impressive. Uh, there's there's a whole other cast here, too, that, that are exceptional. The, what I appreciated is how this film makes very, as you were kind of suggesting, tangible what the slave trade was on the African side of things. Because mm. that's a concept that for the past, I don't know, 40 years or whatever, like students in school have learned about. But to actually see what that looked like yeah. was was something else. And I think it was very informative and very helpful. And I think how this film 
handles the different nuances of that is really great I, and I appreciate it. And then you have other stuff going on within it. That's that's really great. Uh, the the bat. Oh, and ahead. I just wanted to clarify, like maybe in American history education, it's probably a little different to South African he- education. We I don't think we really focused on slavery. Oh, wow. In South African history that I can recall. Mm. We were so busy learning about, it was very white focused, I guess. So, oh, the settlers came. Yay. Uh-huh. And oh. uh, there was a war between Shaka Zulu and the Boers. And we but never, we never touched. Thing, right? Yeah, it's more of a South thing. We never mm. really touched African continent mm. um, and, and impact in that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, the focus is really more about what happened when. The slaves were here, not so much like what it looked like in terms of collecting them or getting them. Well, and I also think that I was seven when Mandela became president, so the country was trying to play catch-up, like, okay, now we're going to try and talk about apartheid because now we can talk about it. Mm. So we didn't get that bigger history thing. So I just wanted to clarify that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The battle scenes, I really briefly, the battle scenes, not as gory as I expect them to be, but still no. very well shot, very coherently very shot. Very effective. Yes. And so I think this film is overall uh, quite the success. Shannon, do you think that The Woman Keen is one of the best movies of the year? I do think it's one of the best movies of the year. It's, yeah, very well made, pristine, focused. How do you rate it out of 10? A 9. All right. I might agree with mm, that just mm. because even though it's been a couple of weeks, maybe my memory's a little faded. I can't recall any actual issues I had with the film. Just an impressive feature by all involved. So that's The Woman King. And we definitely recommend you check that out if you haven't already. Next, we caught up with a movie that we intended on seeing in theaters, didn't get to did catch up with the other two movies that it, that came out the same weekend. Um, this is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. This is the film starring Nicolas Cage as himself with Pedro Pascal. He gets... He, basically, Cage is, is down on his luck as an actor. He's, he's having to take whatever he can get, more or less. And he's about to quit acting, and he, he gets assigned this appearance in... Gosh, I can't remember what uh, country, Colombia, uh, for a wealthy, a wealthy man, uh, to show up for his birthday celebration, if I recall correctly, and it turns out there may or may not be more to this guy than it seems, and as such, the CIA recruit Nicolas Cage to. Uh, try to help them in their efforts to take down this guy, played by Pedro Pascal. Jean, what did you think of The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? Did it live up to your expectations based on the trailers? Uh, Yeah, I'm a little confused. I don't think this was a Colombia thing. I think this was a Europe thing, and it could be Croatia. Like, I... I don't remember. Maybe I don't you think can Pedro Pascal up. was playing a Croatian or anything like okay. that. But I will look it up. It's it's I I could be wrong, but I don't think this is specifically a Colombia thing. I really enjoyed the film. It was a lot of fun. It was quite comical and fun to dive into the hey, what's the impact of an actor obsessed with their ego? 
Like what, how does it affect their family life? How does it affect those around them? And how does it affect their own self? So that was very fun and interesting. And it's just a good time. It was filmed in Croatia, but not necessarily where it was set. You know, the trailer shows you a lot of what is going to happen. But what's great is there's also stuff that doesn't happen in the trailer that happens in the film. Because when you see the trailer, you think that, oh, this is everything that's happening. And it all just looks like fun, action-y stuff. But then you watch the film and there's actually a lot of heart to it as well. Nicolas Cage trying to reconnect with his daughter and trying to, you know, ground himself because he's in a lot of debt. So he's got to figure out how to not be desperate, but how to be okay. Yeah, so I, I'm going to correct myself. It's been a couple of weeks since we watched it. I apologize. It isn't Colombia, but it, it, it's it's uh, definitely not Croatia. It is an island that is part of Spain, there located in the Mediterranean, uh, called um, Mallorca. So that is that is the location that the the billionaire uh, lives in, and so Spain, not Colombia. I thought this film was fun. It was not the knock-out-of-the-park, innovative, brilliant movie I expected it to be or hoped it would be based on the trailers because you have a movie that is a, that is definitely a, essentially about this actor or features this actor reflecting on his career via the eyes of a super fan, you know, and where he once was and and uh, versus where he is today but also his relationship with his daughter and how how his his perception of 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 things are affecting his his relationships as well with his daughter so it's it's a it is a fun film is it a great film no it's not a great film but it's definitely a good time and i think most people would enjoy it I would uh, give the film a 7 out of 10. How about you? Oh, yeah. I agree with that. All right. So that is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. If I'm not mistaken, I think by this point it might be on HBO Max. Next, speaking of HBO Max, we have two older films that we caught up with. In preparation for the previous episode, which hopefully you've listened to, Film Faves documentaries, talking about our favorite documentaries, trying to prep for that, we tried filling in some blind spots, and a couple of them are available on HBO Max. First up, we watched Spike Lee's Four Little Girls, which is about the victims of a church bombing in Alabama during the Civil Rights era in the 60s. Shanna, what were your thoughts? Did you find this film, like, especially as an outsider, was this informative for you? Do you was it hard to get through? What was what were your thoughts of Four Little Girls? Actually, it was hard to start. We've had this on our list for probably five years. Whoa. And, you know, you don't want to spend an evening watching a movie about a hate crime. Uh-huh. Right, right, right. On four innocent little girls. Like, our dog doesn't want to either, clearly. She's verbalizing <laughs> how just don't be a racist asshole. And it actually wasn't difficult to watch. It was very informative. I've seen four little girls be referenced in diff- other different movies. Uh-huh. Like, I think it was referenced in Black Klansman and... 
something else. The incident, else. not the, the documentary. The incident, yeah. And so, you know, I just had built it up in my mind as the worst possible thing, and this was an absolutely terrible crime. And the focus of the film was to, to share with us who were these girls? Mm. Who were they before they could become women? Yeah. And who loved them? Mm. And who did they impact at yeah. such a young age? And they did impact people's lives. Yeah. And they were very special, very special individuals and were taken away from the community in such a horrible and way too soon way. And I, I like the approach that they had because... Yes, there is seriousness of, you know, why did this happen? It was a result of different things happening during that time with civil rights and, and things like that. I'm still trying to figure out civil rights. And I know that that seems weird, but I'm trying to see how everything's connected. You're talking about not the concept of civil not rights, the but the movement itself. The movement, because... It is, for some reason, difficult to come from like, okay, what happened with apartheid? And then, okay, what happened with civil rights? And although there's lots of similarities, there's also contrasts. Mm. So this was very informative for me. Mm -hmm. It's not my favorite documentary, mm. but right. I do think it was important to watch it. Yeah, it didn't make either of our lists. was why we are talking about it here. But I, I think you hit on a few things that I think are effective about the film. Which is, it lays the groundwork for the racism of the area at the time and how uh, and who these girls were. And it's, it features interviews from family members who were still around in the late 90s who would speak to the time and their memories of, of things and people. And it also points out how, like, the rest of the country didn't really understand mm. until this incident occurred how what how severe things were in the, in that part of the country. And yeah. so I think it's a really important document. I do think at times it can be rough to get through because you it goes into detail about what happened. and, it's a it, it, it's it's somewhat devastating. But when it doesn't shy away, it does show you photos. Yeah, and so I I, I don't think that that should deter anyone yeah. from seeing the film because the it's not like the whole entire documentary is like that. But it can be rough, oh, definitely. Uh, but I think it's a very effective documentary by Spike Lee who since then has done a rash of documentaries, very little of which I have seen, and maybe this will inspire us to check those out. So how do you rate Four Little Girls? A seven. I would give it an eight out of ten myself. So the that was one of our blind spots in the documentary realm. Our next blind spot that we caught up with was Grey Gardens. Oh, man. Actually, wait. I changed my mind. If I compare these two documentaries, you know what? Four little girls can have it. They can have eight. That's fine. <laughs> you uh, certainly enjoyed the experience of watching Four Little Girls more than you enjoyed the experience of watching this documentary by the Males bro Maisley's brothers, sorry, who had previously done a Rolling Stones documentary called... Uh, give me shelter 
And this is notably about the two upper-class women, the mother and daughter, with the, who share the same name. They are the aunt and cousin of Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, famously. Oh. They are shut-ins. They are extremely eccentric and this film gray gardens named after the property that they have lived on and led to ruins essentially uh documents as basically what they were like so shanna oh man are you glad (laughs) are you glad you finally got up with gray gardens okay so watching the Paradise Lost trilogy was was painful, but only because we were seeing how the justice system was doing people dirty. Uh-huh. Grey Gardens was unpleasant on every single level. <laughs> like experience, story, it was just already awful. It was infuriating. It was upsetting. It was frustrating it was audibly overstimulating i was so overstimulated after this it just it never stopped there was no peaceful moments no reflective moments there was nothing it just carried on and on and on and on and on and on and like i'm doing right now (laughs) i hated this so much i could have done without this and watched something else wow one of the most important documentaries of the 20th century. <laughs> I was just, I couldn't do Jenna's it. Jenna's poll quote is, it. I hated this so much I could have done without. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, I understand that this is not an experience that's for everybody. I mean, you, know, you have one woman who has kind of a high-pitched voice who carries on a lot. They both kind of carry on a lot. They There's overlapping dialogue for sure throughout the film. They are eccentric. They're kooks. It's hard to follow everything that is being said. I don't know that it's necessary. Even the subtitles right? Even, don't, don't come in right. and help you. Well, yeah, sometimes the captions uh, have a hard time as well. I get that, but I think also this is a fascinating document. And it is one hell of a conversation starter after after the fact, because you can look at it from a couple different perspectives. You can look at it at, wow, like thinking about these people and their lives and what brought them to this point in their life. And also Mm -hmm. thinking about the codependency in the relationship and thinking about the sociological aspects of this, the, these two people and, and, all, all sorts of things. What about other family members? Other, other aspects. Mm-hmm. I think this is such a fascinating movie to sink your teeth into and to really discuss and mine. What I would be curious to know about is, like, this is a Criterion film, so I'd be curious yes. to watch those interviews and extra pieces that come with a film like this. But I guess what was what was interesting to me was I, I did find this also unsettling to watch, and I guess it would be an interesting question and uh, an interesting topic could be like, okay, the ethics of a documentarian. Mm-hmm. Like when do because these women were clearly mentally ill. Mm. They needed help. They like I I 
don't know what was going on, but it wasn't right. Mm. You know? I don't know if I agree with that, though. Okay. Because I think that, yeah, sure, you could say, and you did say after we watched it, like these people needed help, these people need therapy. Yeah, so do oh, most. Oh, yeah, definitely like, therapy. We need therapy. You know what I mean? Like, so do most people. But. <laughs> I think that these people are just eccentric people. They, I think they were of sound mind and body. I don't think they were not quite there in any particular way. I think we see evidence of that in the documentary throughout. I just think they're the, the kind of personalities that will drive a lot of people crazy and, be, and really is hard to spend a significant amount of time with. For me, I just found some of it so nuts that it was amusing at times. You know, so I laughed my way through some of the banter that was going on in it. But See, I can't do that because on some level it was a little bit relatable. What is interesting is it's a mother-daughter relationship and it's a mother-daughter relationship that needs help. Yeah. Like they need to have therapy separately and together to get through all the shit that they've been hanging on to. The mother is very verbally and emotionally abusive to her daughter Mm. it's so bad Mm. uh and you know even if your mom said one ugly thing to you once it's like well imagine if she didn't stop Mm. and that's basically what's happening yeah that's basically what you're watching yeah in a a not so abrasive way you're absolutely right you can you can uh be that way without being absolutely ugly in your tone and such it's it's interesting. I I give the film and uh, well, hmm, probably an eight out of ten. I'm, I'm just stopping short of giving it a nine out of ten. I can see how significant the film is, and it is a fascinating watch, and it's fascinating to dig deeper into this these people and this property and what happened afterwards as well. Uh, so yeah, you would you say you gave it like a one out of ten or something? <laughs> Did I say that? I don't know. That's hilarious. Some I reason I have that in my head. I don't remember. <laughs> Negative one. I don't remember that. I, 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 even though I didn't like this film, uh-huh. I do agree with you. There is a lot to talk about, and that's probably why it's Criterion. You know, in the reason. Criterion collection, it's not created by Criterion, but yes. Yeah, uh, but but from an enjoyable pers- like, can I get through it? Blah blah yeah. blah. Like I'm gonna buy this for you for Christmas, and you're gonna. I swear to God, I will cut it in half. (laughs) Seriously. After watching the special features, of course. All right, so that's. I I could I, I can't give it an objective score, but I feel four, four. Mm, mm, mm. So that's Grey Gardens available on HBO Max. Uh, See if you can get through the ninety plus minutes. (laughs) That is that experience. It was only ninety. Uh yeah, ninety five minutes after the brief credits. My God. So lastly, also on HBO Max now, Shanna, you had seen in the theaters during the summer DC League of Super Pets, I believe it's called. It's kind of a clunky title. And you talked about it previously on this podcast. You showed me this film a few days ago. And I thought, well, let's talk about it because you're like, I'm interested in what you think about it. And so I'm here to share. And uh, you can... You can chime in as well. Uh, DC League of Super Pets is basically about Crypto, who has been taking care of Kal-El since Kal-El was a baby and arrived on Earth. And Crypto is Kryptonian. Ages differently. He ages differently. He's Kryptonian. He's a Kryptonian dog. He's not from Earth. And then basically what ends up happening is other 
pets from a pet store end up getting superpowers. And it's a pet adoption agency. Sure. And they team up together to fight one of them who is a guinea pig, a hairless guinea pig that was blonde to Lex Luthor, apparently, and stuff. So, look, I, I think this movie is not bad. I think it's enjoyable. It's more than babysitting uh, movies that we've, we've seen a lot of. Yeah. You know, studios just churn out. Uh, I think it's funny. I think there's some things that don't quite work about it. <laughs> and when you think about it, or sometimes the humor is uh, just plain silly or whatever. But it's not as um, dumb. It's not as much talking down to as I expected it to. It doesn't rely a whole lot on pop culture references. But there's some pretty good solid jokes and a really solid cast also. Let's see if I can get that cast up because it's a really long list. It includes Dwayne Johnson as Crypto, Kevin Hart once again playing an animal. He was also in, was he in like the Secret Life of Pets too? Yeah. I am not sure. I think he was the bunny in Secret Life oh, of Pets. Oh, okay, there you go. Kate McKinnon, John Krasinski, Vanessa Bayer, Natasha Leone, Diego Luna, Mark Marin, Keanu Reeves, John Thomas Middleditch, Ben Schwartz, Olivia Wilde, Yvette Nicole Brown, Jamila Jamil, Jermaine Clement. My gosh, that's a lot of people. So it's 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 better than I expect it to be. So while I give it a, a, a six out of ten, it's it's just sort of being a really good movie mm-hmm. and uh, you know quite enjoyable. Did you have anything you wanted to add? I enjoyed watching it a second time. It was fun. I really wanted you to watch it so that we could talk about like the end credit stuff and. We got to do that, uh, and you seemed lukewarm about that, so so glad I waited. Well, there's a certain degree of self-awareness with the fact that Dwayne Johnson is, is the main voice in the movie, and Dwayne Johnson plays soon a character that Aren't shows you spoiling up. It? I'm not saying anything about what happens, but let's say the casting of Dwayne Johnson definitely has a self-awareness to that, that uh, end scene. So there's that. There's that, and it's cute what actually is happening, you know. Eh. My favorite is watching, like, the superheroes interact with the animals, yeah. the pets. That's yeah. my favorite. Yeah, yeah, like Batman in particular. Yeah. God, he's so damaged. <laughs> of course he needs a pet. <laughs> he needs several. I really think a pet would be good for you. Yeah, so there's some, there's some good, solid stuff in there. So, yeah. It's not that bad. Not that bad. Not a great film, but pretty pretty darn good. That's DC Lee. Is it a masterpiece? No. <laughs> Probably better than Hocus Pocus 2, though. I bet you. I, I, I would, yeah, I would watch uh-huh. Super Pets again and, and not Hocus Pocus 2 again. There you go. So that is DC League of Super Pets. And to recap, our week in review was Key and Peel, The Woman Keen, uh, which we we were fans of both of those things, by the way. The unbearable weight of massive talent, which we were fans. Of, actually, we were fans of most of these movies. Four little girls, Grey Gardens, which we kind of split on. Shanna and I, I liked it. I appreciated it a lot more than Shanna did. And DC League of Super Pets. I do think that Shanna, you appreciated the Super Pets movie a little more than me. 
Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that ends our episode with the weekend review. What do you think about these films and TV shows? Have you seen them? Feel free to chime in. The Gibson Review at gmail.com. All right, Shannon, before we talk about the next couple episodes, why don't you share with everyone where they can find you online? You can find me at Shanna Paxton Photography on Instagram, and you can find me on FlickChart at Spellbinding A. Excellent. Go to the GibsonReview.com, please. That's where you will find the future feature article on the Nightmare on Elm Street series. But also you'll find other reviews of like James Bond movies, Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy movies, Disney movies. A whole bunch of things are on there, including past episodes of The Movie Lovers and the Film Phase lists. Follow on social media, The Gibson Review on Facebook or The Gibson 99 on Instagram. I do bracket polls there. And soon, if not by the time you have been listening to this episode, there should be a poll about your favorite documentaries. If you haven't missed that by now, check it out for sure at the Gibson 99 on Instagram. Next time on The Movie Lovers. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to do a review of Amsterdam, starring John David Washington, Christian Bale, and Margot Robbie, among many other cast members of note. And then the next episode after that should be Film Faves Horror Movies, our favorite horror movies of all time. That will be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to that. Look for the Amsterdam review on Tuesday, October 18th, and... Film Faves Horror episode, Tuesday, October 25th. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shannon saying... Bye-bye.